Good Friday. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see that I have them all laid out side by side. This is what's called a harmony of the Gospels, all right? We've got them laid out side by side, and we'll go through them today. Now, it's important that we recognize different ones of the Gospels bring out different details, and we'll see some of those details today. But let's start with John chapter 18, beginning with verse 2. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with the disciples. Ah, so your betrayers your betrayers know you. And betrayers always use their knowledge of you to hurt you. He knew where Jesus loved to pray. And he took a beautiful place that had nothing but good memories for the rest of the apostles and used that as the place of betrayal, a place where they had laughed together, a place where they had prayed together, a place where they had rested together on their way up to Bethany every night, a favorite place of Jesus. This was a place he often met. It's amazing how betrayers will use the precious things in your life that they know about you, the things that are precious to try to destroy you. Verse three, so Judas, having procured a band of soldiers, so the, the soldiers, this was Judas's idea. Judas's idea. He procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. He said, listen, I'm, I'm going to need a little help with this. So th this was his idea. And went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now, why in the world would Judas want soldiers and weapons? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why would Judas, because this was Judas's idea, why would Judas want soldiers, officers, and weapons to arrest Jesus? You know, th there's one of those, that's one of those questions that I don't have an answer to. Did he want to just humiliate Jesus? Was he afraid the other apostles would be angry and his friends would turn on him? Was it a display of power that, look at Jesus, I can, I can dominate you. you. You corrected me Tuesday night up in Bethany, so I'm going to show, I'm going to get even. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to humiliate you like you humiliated me. I don't have the answer to that. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. Now, there is one of the most powerful verses about the life of Jesus. Knowing all that would happen to him came forward. Knowing, brothers and sisters, get a hold of that. Knowing he advanced. It, it's kind of like David running to the battle. Jesus ran to the battle. Knowing every bit of suffering he did not hold back. He was not, 
there was no hesitation. I, I've heard people preach that Jesus in the garden was, was a, a display of hesitation. There was no hesitation. Oh, beloved, no hesitation. No regrets. Jesus did this willingly for you. You, you, need, you need to get a hold of that. Jesus looking forward through eternity and seeing your life had no hesitation. Knowing all that he was about to suffer, he came forward and said, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. Now remember, Satan is inside Judas. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So please forgive me. We have a display of authority. Here we have true authority. Judas had to bring the soldiers and the weapons. Jesus said, I am he. And the power of his presence put them all on their faces on the ground, including Satan inside of Jesus. <laughs> Do you remember how God told Satan, you will eat the dust of the earth? And Satan became a dust eater, a dirt eater. <laughs> Satan had his face in the dirt. <laughs> Satan's face is in the dirt again. Jesus answered. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. This is in, in his prayer. In the John 17 prayer. Of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. He protected. He protected the twelve. Then Simon Peter, having a sword drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? Now, brothers and sisters, please. I, I grew up around guns. All right. I mean, I, I grew up around guns. My, my dad, he had guns all over the house. My dad, when he was young, was a, a target pistol shooter. My dad had guns all over the house. I grew up around guns, but I don't have any guns in my house today. I don't keep weapons around. And there's a reason for that. I want you to notice having a sword. 
Now notice Jesus tells him over here in Matthew, verse 53, he said, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? Now, brothers and sisters, you're going to have to learn a principle. When you have something, you use it. Oh. When you have a weapon, you use it. And the use of that weapon might be appropriate, or in this case, it was inappropriate. Jesus said, now listen, Peter, you know, all who take the sword will perish by the sword. You know, there's an appropriate use for a weapon, and there's an inappropriate use of the weapon. Peter, this is not an appropriate use, but because he had it, he used it. Sometimes you just want to be careful that you don't ever use something like that, Okay. Now we come on down in John chapter 18, beginning with verse 13. So they finished arresting Jesus. So the band of the soldiers and the captains and their officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Now again, why bind him? Why? Because he drove everybody out with a whip from the temple? They were afraid of him? You bind people because of fear. They were afraid of Jesus. I mean, he just says, I'm he, and they're all on their faces. But then they bind him. I, I guess, I guess whenever I think of this passage, I, I think of that movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Sister Bev and I just watched it the other day during lockdown. And I remember Jesus on the stone table, the lion, Aslan, on the stone table. And how all of those nasty things they wanted to tie him up. They wanted to humiliate him. You see, weak people always want to humiliate strength. Ah. Weakness needs to humiliate strength. And whenever I think of this binding him and arresting him and how they plucked his beard out and slapped him and did all those other things, weak people always want to humiliate strength. So you have to understand that when you see somebody purposely humiliating, when you see a man humiliating a woman, just, just humiliating a woman in public, he just told you what a weak man he is. He's not a strong man. He's a weak man. When you, you see people on Facebook cyberbullying people and, and, and just, you know, hurling their things and bringing humiliation on people and shame on people, you, you, they're not showing you that they're strong. They're showing you their weakness. Now, first, they led him to Annas. Now, why Annas? Annas is the godfather. Now, as I taught you this week in the evening services, Annas was the high priest who was appointed by the Roman government someplace around, oh, 3 to 5 A.D. Okay? So he was there at the beginning when Jesus was born. Now, this is one family, and because this is not 
a spiritual thing. This is a, a nobility thing. Remember, these guys were from the Hasmonean ruling dynasty. These were nobility. It's passed from father to son to son-in-law. Okay? So Annas is the original guy. And he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Okay? They, they passed it back and forth among the family. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient for one man to die for the people. Now, I want you to notice here, they take him first to Annas. Now, why do they bring him first to Annas? Because Annas has some specific questions that I taught you about in the, the evening services. I won't repeat here. But Annas, Annas is really the guy in charge. Okay, Caiaphas is more the figurehead, but Annas is the strategist. He, he's the guy in charge of this. John chapter 18, beginning with verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Now, now this, is, this was Annas. We talked about this the other night. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. Now, not just to the Jews. Not just to Jews. To the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. So Jesus was transparent. Jesus said, everything I've done, I've done very publicly. He said, I didn't just, you know, put a few things out there in public and the rest of it was hidden. Jesus said, I kept everything very public. He said, I, I've got no secrets. There, there were no, this is no secret society. There are no secret doctrines. He said, this is, this is all transparent. He said, why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. And they know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Verse 23, Jesus answered, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Wow. If what I said is right, why do you strike me? Why are you so sensitive? You see, Annas and Caiaphas and the family lived in secrets. You know, they had the things they wanted to publish, and they had their nasty things they wanted to say about other people. But they had all these secrets. You know, this is one of the reasons why I teach young pastors, don't ever live with secrets. Everything is just right out there in the open. Now, sometimes it's embarrassing, like when you stand up and you tell everybody how much you sold your house for. But you remember when I sold my condo, I told everybody how much I sold it for. And then I bought my house in Alabang, and I told everybody how much I bought my house in Alabang for. And then I sold my house in Alabang, and I told everybody how much I sold it for. And now I'm building a house for Sister Bev and I to grow old in, and EJ and Pastor A to, to live in. Now, it's kind of a duplex type thing. I stand up and tell everybody everything. And there's a reason for that. You can't destroy people who are transparent. <laughs> See, it's your secrets that will destroy you, brothers and sisters, not your transparency. Making, and this is something that, this is a principle you've got to get a hold of. Vulnerability. is not weakness. 
Vulnerability is strength. Vulnerability, making yourself vulnerable, being transparent, is not weakness. It's not making yourself weak and open to attack. David said, says of David that his integrity, and the word there means transparency, his integrity or transparency protected him. Jesus' vulnerability, Jesus being just right out there open, it was actually a shield to him, and it will be a shield to you. Now, let's pick up with Peter's denials and the courtyard of Caiaphas. Now, let's use Mark for this one. And I like Mark because Mark probably has what Peter wanted repeated. Because remember, Mark traveled with Peter, and oftentimes Mark is called Peter's gospel. Verse 54. And Peter had followed him at a distance, okay, at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. So he followed him from the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, so if we draw a map, this would be the Garden of Gethsemane, the road going up the Mount of Olives. This would be the Kidron Valley. So Jesus would have been brought through the Kidron Valley up to Annas' house and then back to Caiaphas' house. All right, so Peter has followed him at a distance to Annas and not to Caiaphas. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself by the fire. Now, I remember when I was a young baby Christian, I kept thinking, why does anybody need to warm themselves by the fire in the, in the Middle East? It's hot there. But you've been with us to Israel enough now. You, you know at times of the year it's really, really, really cold and even snows in Jerusalem. Verse 66, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. So now you begin to see some details here. The rooster crowed once. I call this the warning. <laughs> the warning. That must have got Peter's attention. And now he crows a second time. And Peter remembered how the Lord had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Now, brothers and sisters, he, Peter did not betray Jesus. But Peter, in his humiliation and his fear, denied Jesus. Now, fear is powerful. Fear with confusion. Jesus, why would you not let me defend you? Jesus, why wouldn't you let me fight? So he's got fear mixed up with confusion, and, and that's a very powerful thing. 
And now before a little girl, he denies Christ three times. And he breaks down and he weeps. Now, Peter was not a bad man. Peter loved Jesus. And he shows in his heart as he breaks down and he weeps. But fear and confusion went together in his heart. And please forgive me, there didn't need to be confusion. Because how many times had Jesus taught the apostles that he would suffer and die in Jerusalem? But you see, sometimes being caught up in the actual events, you forget the words of Jesus. And there's a principle that you need to get a hold of. Sometimes being caught up in the events, you forget something Jesus had said. Caught in the midst of a storm, you forget Jesus said, we'll go to the other side. Caught up in the midst of his, his betrayal and his sufferings, and you forget that Jesus said it had to happen. Sometimes these things do occur. Now let's pick up the story in Luke 22, verse 63. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. And they blindfolded him and kept saying, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Now, holding Jesus in custody, these were the Jewish leaders. These supposedly great religious leaders spoke against him. They mocked his spirituality. They couldn't heal anybody. They, they weren't prophesying, but he was prophesying. He foretold the future. And he had just been doing that in the temple courts. Remember the, these great sermons that he taught? They couldn't prophesy. They, they had no miracles with them. So all they did was mock him and beat him and make fun of his spirituality and, and speak against him. They seized him and led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And they led Jesus, the high priest, and Mark, and all the chief priests and elders, all the chief priests and elders and scribes came together, and Peter was following at a distance. Now, let's continue there with Mark, verse 55. Now, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus, to put him to death, but they found none. Beware, seekers of evidence. You see, if you're guilty of something, the evidence is right there. But if you have to seek evidence, if it's not right there, they call that going on a fishing expedition. You're you're fishing for evidence. You're trying to find something to charge somebody with. Now, every one of us at some point in our life will probably go through this with people running around, lying about us, trying to find something against us. You know what? Forgive me, that's that same religious spirit. And many bore false witness against him, and their testimonies did not agree. That's one of the fun things about lies. Lies don't agree. Truth agrees. Lies don't agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, now notice, these are 
This, this is another thing you need to find. Twisted words. Twisted words. They twisted his words. Did he say something like this? Yes, of course he did. He told his disciples that that week. And you know what? This maybe came from Judas. Now remember, what he was teaching them about the beautiful stones that I read you earlier in the week, that was private teaching. Do you remember? This came from private teaching. So you wonder, did Judas go out and say, now let me, because when they, they interviewed Judas, they would have said, well, what dirt do you have on him? What, what can we use against him? And so you just wonder how much of this, um, what we have heard came from Judas twisting the words of Jesus because the others had not heard this. That was, that was private teaching. I read you that earlier this week. Verse 59, yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But, G but he remained silent and made no answer. Jesus did not answer lies. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. Jesus never denied truth. Jesus never denied truth. Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. <laughs> And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and strike him and say, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Amazing. Amazing. You look at how they treated. Now, now, please understand. They didn't stand up to him when he cleansed the temple. They never stood up to him when he cleansed the temple. One man cleaning house. They never stood up to him when he was healing the sick, opening blind eyes, healing the, the, the crippled and the deaf in the temple courts all week long. They never stood up to him when he stood up and he taught the people and the people were amazed at his words. But now that they have him bound, they stand up to him. Weak men attack only when they feel safe. This is why people like to attack on Facebook because they feel safe. Nobody can touch us. <laughs> I call them Facebook cowards, all right? They, they won't stand up and say something in anybody's face. Weak men attack only when they feel safe. Here is Jesus bound. 
So they spit in his face. Now, they didn't spit in his face when he turned over the money tables. They didn't spit in his face when he healed the, 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 the lame and the crippled. They didn't spit in his face when he drove the, the money changers and the, the guys selling the pigeons and the cows and the, the sheep out of the temple. They didn't spit in his face when he stood in front of the people teaching. They didn't walk up in defiance in public. Weak men attack. Show defiance and disdain only when they feel safe. Weak men attack only when they feel safe. They show defiance and disdain only when Jesus is bound. <laughs> as Jesus, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she said, you were with the Nazarene. And then we go through the denial again. Now, Jesus' trial before Pilate. Let's pick up in John 18. This is the longer version. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was very early morning. Right, so this is Friday early. And they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. In other words, entering into a Gentile's home would defile them and they couldn't eat the Passover. Now they want to murder somebody who's innocent and they know he's innocent, but they won't enter a Gentile's home. <laughs> this to me, this is funny. This is funny. They will not enter a Gentile's home, but they're willing to lie. They're willing to deceive. They're willing to manufacture evidence. They're willing to spit in a man's face and beat a helpless bound man, but they won't enter a Gentile's house. Amazing. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. <laughs> they have no evidence. No evidence. They have no evidence. They said, trust us. We know. Now, when, when you hear people talking like that, when you hear somebody talking about people and go, you know, we know there's wickedness. We know that they're evil. Well, well what is it that you know? Well, we just know. You're, you're dealing with people who are just saying, we have no evidence, but trust us. Folks, that, that is exactly the same demonic thing that brought the death of Jesus. If this man were doing evil, we would not have delivered, not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Trust us. We don't want to bother you with the evidence. Trust us. <laughs> Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the words Jesus had spoken by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters and again, and called Jesus and said to him, are you 
king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What, what have you done? Jesus answered, now notice, Jesus answers honest questions. Pilate's confused. Well, what have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside of the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Now, this is, this is an amazing passage. He said, this is my purpose. Bear witness to truth. Jesus said, this is, my, this is my purpose. And he said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Christians, the reason we listen to Jesus is because we're of the truth. Ah. I, I have to be careful or I'll stop preaching on all that. Now, I teach you a great deal about this in, in the, the, the services this week. Now, let's take a break for just a few minutes and then we'll come back. Lose from 
As we finish out today, I won't read you all the rest of Friday's events because we deal with that in tremendous detail in School of the Cross. But there is a part that we don't deal with in School of the Cross. We touch on it and then just move right by it. And that is the death of Judas Iscariot. Now let me read it to you from two different versions. Matthew 27, beginning with verse 3. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. When he saw the fruit, when he saw the fruit of his bad attitudes, when he saw the fruit of his bad attitudes, when he saw the death of Jesus coming about because of his bitterness, his anger at being corrected publicly there, you know, in, in Bethany, when he got mad at the girl who gave the generous gift to Jesus, all of the little slights and perceived injuries that he had, all of his greed, all of the bad attitudes, and there was a multiplicity of them that filled his heart. He changed his mind. He wished he hadn't done it. You see, sometimes you get a really bad attitude and you go out and destroy somebody. You get them fired. You destroy somebody. And then you wish you hadn't done it. And you realize you were wrong. You just had bad attitudes. But it's too late. And that's exactly what happened with Judas. It was too late. And he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders and said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. See, a betrayer... Judas knew the truth. Now, obviously, he had twisted the words of Jesus about the, about the stones of the temple. But Judas knew the truth. He knew that Jesus was a good man. He knew that Jesus was innocent. See, a betrayer is a funny person. They betray you because of their bad attitudes of their own heart. But they also know you. And they know the truth. And one day they regret it. But it's too late because the chief priest said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. In other words, your sin is not our problem. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and he hanged himself. But the chief priest taking the pieces of silver said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it's blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them Potter's Field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the Field of Blood to this day. If you stand with us at Caiaphas's house, uh, those of you who have been with us in Israel, like this is the uh, parking lot, and then you walk down the little thing, and this is the walkway, and then uh, the, the church is there, and Caiaphas's house is underneath. Instead of turning to the left, if you go straight, there's a lookout area where the guides often take you on a beautiful day. And it's a little smelly because there's some horses right down here, all right? But if you look out over it, you'll see the road leading out of Jerusalem down to the, sea, down to the Dead Sea. And right over here, you'll see Potter's Field. I remember the first time I stood there, and I stood right here, and I looked and I went, 
there's the Kidron Valley. There's Potter's Field. Here's the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's the Mount of Olives. Here's the Temple Mount. And I thought, this is one really small place. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, They took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him, on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel. And they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. They fulfilled prophecy. Now, sometimes you'll see people fulfill prophecy who don't even realize they're fulfilling prophecy, like these guys did. Now, Acts chapter 1 gives us another account. Now, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. So, wickedness has a reward. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and his bowels gushed out. Wow. Now, wait a minute. Did he hang himself? Or did his bowels gush out? I don't know. I've read explanations that when he hung himself, he didn't do it properly and he fell down and his insides all came out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the field was called in their own language, Akaldama, the field of blood. Now, this is the apostles' commentary later on it. Now, there's something I want you to see here. We're going to close with this today. Judas, to me, is a great confusion. I began to study him about 20 years ago. And Judas, to me, after 20 years of study, is still a great confusion. And my confusion is this. How could a man who walked with Jesus for three and a half years, how could a man who prayed with Jesus, who saw Jesus walk on the water, who saw Jesus feed the multitude, who saw Jesus give the widow woman back her dead son? Who saw Jesus open Bly's eyes? Who saw Jesus put his hands on lepers and cleanse them? Who saw Jesus take the children into his bosom? How could a man who saw Jesus cleanse the temple twice, standing up for integrity and what was right, how could such a man twist his words and betray him? Now, I wrote you about it yesterday in a little little insert on Facebook. And I yes, I, I believe that's part of the answer, his heart. You know, you, you can have 12 men and they all see the same thing. And it, it makes one man angry and it makes the other 11 happy and blessed. Okay, and, and kind of that's what happened. I mean, you know, Judas was a thief. He kept stealing a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. He, he was corrupt. And that corruption affected how he looked at everything, how he saw generosity, how he saw the blessings of Jesus, how he saw a Lazarus raised from the dead, how he saw Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who so loved Jesus. Everything he saw, he saw with different eyes from the other 11. Remember how I've often taught you about the doctrine of predestination, the same sun melts the butter and hardens the clay? You see, folks, the condition of your heart is very, very, very important. 
Somebody can walk up to you and say, it's a beautiful day. But if there's something wrong in your heart, you're going to hear it all wrong. Somebody can walk up to you and say, you look so good today. But if there's something wrong in your heart, you're going to hear it all wrong. You see, how you hear things, how you see things, how you perceive or understand things is not necessarily true. It's colored by the condition of your heart. And I, I think part of the answer of Judas is for so long he, he'd been hardening his heart. He'd been stealing the money for so long. He'd been corrupt for so long that every beautiful thing Jesus did just made him angrier. Everything of generosity he saw just, just made him angrier until he finally betrayed Christ. Now, yeah, he did change his mind, but notice guilt is not repentance. Guilt is destructive. You can always tell people who are full of guilt. They're destructive of themselves, they're destructive of their family, and they're destructive of everything around them. People who live in guilt are destructive. Repentance is redemptive. Repentance rebuilds. Guilt only destroys. Beloved, in this Holy Week season, can I ask you to really look in your heart? And if there's stuff there that you've just hardened, the sin that you're just determined to hang on to, would you just, may I humbly ask, please just make a decision right now to repent? Don't let your heart, because, you know, when, when the heart starts going bad, it just gets worse and worse, all right? It, it, it just... It goes from bad to worse. But all you have to do is come to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, change my heart. And Jesus will take that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And Jesus will write his laws upon your hearts. And he'll change your heart. He'll change you from the inside out. All you have to do is, rather than just change your mind, okay? Judas changed his mind. Rather than just change your mind, would you please come to God and ask him to change your heart? Okay? Don't change your mind. Let God change your heart. Now, let me close with this one last thought. If you don't, let me tell you your future. Your future is alone, and your future is one of destruction. Why do I say alone? Because did you notice all these people that joined him in the betrayal, his new friends? Okay. Did you notice they all walked away from him? One of the things you're going to learn in life is betrayers and rebels always wind up alone in life. You're going to wind up alone and you're going to wind up with nothing but a destroyed life. Soften your heart. Jesus will forgive you. Jesus will give you a soft heart with his laws written upon it. 
Jesus will change you from the inside out. You say, but I've done so much, Pastor. I've hurt so many people. I've said so many things. But Jesus will forgive you. Yeah, there'll be some things that you have to work on. There'll be some, some you know, recompense that has to be taken care of. There'll be some retribution that has to be done. But Jesus will forgive you and change you. Don't end your life alone and destroyed. In Jesus' name. All right, we'll see you tonight as we finish up School of the Cross. 7 o'clock.